1: I think you should try out. I got an
0: audition! Okay, ladies. I got one interest here, and that's the show. I don't care whether you live or die.
1: I want to see you dance, and I want to see you smile.
0: From the creators of Basic Instinct. The last time, they took you to the edge. This time, they're taking you all the way.
1: We take the cash, we cash the check, we show them what they wanna see. Hello, this is Annie Rose Malaman, and you're listening to Girls, Guts, and Jello. Today I'm joined again by my friend Sarah. And last time we talked about the Paul Verhoeven and Joe Esterhaus movie Basic Instinct. And today we're talking about the duo's other movie, uh showgirls. Uh, I don't even like know how to preface that because it's like, it really needs no introduction. Um, Sarah, do you want to refresh people on who you are, what you do, what you're about? Sure. So
0: my name is Sarah Patterson. I'm a high femme Trash Princess, who lives in the Bay now, but is actually from near Philadelphia originally. Um, I grew up in New Jersey, and uh, I spent a lot of time in Philadelphia doing sex work, which is where we're doing the podcast right now. It seemed like a very fitting... Philadelphia is a pretty sex work-oriented city, Um We spent some time before uh, doing the podcast, going to some stripper stores and just taking in all of the trash that Philadelphia has to offer. Um, I'm here working on a book project that has to do with sex work and gay culture in Philly. So this is a very appropriate moment for us to be also discussing this trashy classic.
1: Yes, uh, we're both former sex workers and we're both obsessed with glittery trash So (laughs) still and forever forever and I had no idea that Philly was such a sex work capital because I've actually never been here before but we were finding out or I was finding out when you were taking me around South Street that there's so many uh, stripper clothing stores and it's It's very saturated. It's like one after another, which you don't even really get in New York. So it was, I was really surprised by that. Please or heaven. Please or heaven. Yeah, exactly. So we're talking about Showgirls today, which is one of my all time favorite movies. Uh, I saw it late night TV, as I have with many of the movies that I talk about on this podcast. And I had never, I had always seen like the DVD cover. A photo of Elizabeth Berkeley where she's like nude and there's a black <laughs> curtain <laughs> and she's like stepping out from behind the black curtain. I'd always seen that in stores. Uh, and then I, I caught the movie one night and I, in my like teenage brain had no idea that this was supposed to be, that this was a bad movie. Like, I thought this was, like, really good. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I yeah. thought it was, like, one of the best things I'd ever seen. When did you see it, and what did you think about it when you saw it?
0: Well, now I'm sort of wondering when I saw it. What's the Demi Moore stripper
1: movie? Um, Striptease. Striptease. Which came out after Showgirls and the marketing for Striptease, because Showgirls bombed so badly. They specifically tried to separate Striptease from showgirls in what way i don't know how specifically but that's what i read that the marketing team for striptease like went out of their way to separate it from showgirls oh yeah i think actually because striptease is marketed as more of a comedy and showgirls was marketed as like a hard-hitting drama (laughs) (laughs) so i think that that's where they Try to separate it.
0: Though Paul Verhoeven and Joe Esterhaus seem to think dark satire is what they're actually doing. Yeah. Yeah. Which I don't disagree with. Right. Right. (laughs) I don't, I don't honestly remember the, I think I may have also seen it. I want to say, right. A lot of my memories of my favorite trashy films are from late night Bravo, which I want to say is where I saw it. I feel like Bravo Pre all of the reality shows, Bravo was just an opportunity to see really campy, really out there stuff late at night that you just had like, I mean, I had uninhibited access to as like a child who hung out in her parents' basement by myself a lot late at night. Yeah, I imagine that's when I saw it.
1: Do you remember what you thought of it when you saw it?
0: I mean I just remember having a fascination with sex worker culture from a very early age and part of that was also just these pervasive questions that were things that I thought about while doing sex work too which was like how does a how do women exist in the world without finding some way to profit off of their sexualization which was just a pervasive question for sex workers, and I imagine for women in general.
1: Yeah, and I think for me, what was so striking about it was, like, Maybe I shouldn't even rhapsodize on it. I was just horny. And there was like, <laughs> there was like a bunch of boobs. And oh, yeah, Yeah, there's a lesbian subplot. So as we have
0: previously discussed, there are many opportunities for stiletto nails to touch other people's faces,
1: yes. which is truly the most sexual of opportunities. <laughs> it's, very, it's very femme for femme, very femme for mm-hmm. femme classic. Uh, so movie came out in 1995 directed by Paul Verhoeven and Joe Haas. It is the only movie that was rated NC-17 to receive a wide release in mainstream theaters. It, I believe, was the last movie to actually... I'm getting conflicting accounts of this, but I thought it was the last movie to have an X rating before they moved into NC-17. Mm-hmm. But now I'm reading that it was NC-17, so I'm not actually sure on that one. Esther Haas came up with the idea for Showgirls while he was on vacation in his home in Maui, Hawaii. (laughs) LOL. (laughs) (laughs) During lunch in Beverly Hills, Verhoeven told Esther Haas that he had always loved big MGM musicals and wanted to make one. Esther Haas suggested the setting be Las Vegas.
0: So based on his... (laughs) He was like... Let's just go do a
1: ton of cocaine and Vegas <laughs> in my He's like I, I dude. To, <laughs> I have to imagine that that's more what the conversation was. <laughs> um, so, based on the idea that he scribbled on a napkin, Esther would has advanced two million dollars to write the script, and picked up an additional one point seven million when the studio produced it into a film. This along with the scripts of both Verhoeven's previous film, Basic Instinct, 92, and Sliver. I didn't know just Joe Esther House wrote Sliver, actually. And Sliver, 1993, both starring Sharon Stone. We
0: talked about Sliver last time. Yeah, I feel like briefly. Sliver needs to be revisited. Is it yeah. terrible? It's I can't remember. So terribly
1: good. Like, it's the worst. Actually, um... The podcast "Attack of the Queer Wolf" that I was on—that Natas, yeah—they uh, did an episode on Sliver. It's really fucking funny. Oh, I, I have to listen. Highly to that. recommend it. Uh, the actually, the Sliver soundtrack is great. All these movies have great soundtracks. Oh yeah. So, Esther Haas was the highest-paid screenwriter in Hollywood history at this point. Good lord. Verhoeven deferred seventy percent of his six million-dollar director's fee, depending on if the film turned a profit. Okay, these guys are making a lot of (laughs) movies. Yeah. Uh, So the movie stars Elizabeth Berkley as Nomi Malone, and Gina Gershon as Crystal Connors. A long list of actresses were considered for the role of Nomi, including Pamela Anderson, Drew Barrymore, Angelina Jolie, Jenny McCarthy, (laughs) Denise Richards, and Charlize Theron, but they all turned it down. uh mm-hmm. elizabeth berkeley saved by the bell had just been canceled so she signed on to play the role and madonna sharon stone daryl hannah they these were all actresses that were considered for the role of crystal connors before gina gershon became available and verhoven uh interviewed 200 real-life las vegas strippers and incorporated parts of their stories into the screenplay to show the amount of exploitation of strippers in vegas
0: i would love to see video of those quote-unquote extensive interviews i know i like what did that entail for them (laughs) what did that that interview we watched with paul verhoeven where he said We just did a lot of research, and you're like, "Uh uh-huh, okay. Yeah, I
1: just, I feel like they just hired a bunch of sex workers and, like, bought a bunch of cocaine, and then they were like, yeah, we did extensive research. Yeah, I'm very scientific. um I don't like trust Paul Verhoeven he whatsoever <laughs> I when we were watching interviews with him I said that he is like Werner Herzog on crystal meth at a circuit party <laughs> like, he's crazy I mean he said that chaotic she, neutral at, best, at right, best he said that showgirls he sees it as an elegant film Mm-hmm. In the style of Otto Dix, in the style of the German <laughs> painter Otto Dix,
0: and then let's not forget that strange rant he went on
1: about blue collar heroes. Uh, I don't even know. Like I, I wasn't sure. I, what was I don't happening understand there. what he was saying. No. Basically, like no one who talks about this movie who was involved in it has like any cogent thoughts about it. <laughs> Like, Gina Gershon on that panel we were watching that she did with uh, Paul Verhoeven. The Lincoln Center. Yeah, she's... I don't even know how to describe her presence there. Like, she basically... I don't feel like she was, like, talking about the movie. I don't know. It was so weird. It was just, like, them together was very bizarre. Um, I don't think anyone has... I think Elizabeth Berkeley is really the only person who has really come to embrace the movie. Like, Gina Gershon feels like she still kind of regrets doing it.
0: I, the most interesting part to me of, the, of that interview that we watched with Paul Verhoeven and Gina Gershon was she keeps... Gina Gershon keeps talking about the relationship between her and Elizabeth Berkley and how Elizabeth Berkley played the role of Nomi Malone in a different way than she expected she was going to play that role. And so she had to alter her role accordingly, but does no specific discussion of, like, how that was changed and what that was changed to. And I'm like, are you talking about the lesbian stuff? Are you talking about, like know me play know me being played like a little naive are you talking about like the? do you think that her performance was trashy like i do think she's trying to sidestep saying shitty things about elizabeth berkeley which is likely what she's trying to avoid in that but i'm i'm very curious what shitty things she's avoiding saying because i'm like no one comes out of this film looking like a
1: great act- actor. What Gina Gershon, right, what she was saying <laughs> on the panel was she was kind of like trying to say that she played it that way on purpose. Like she thought it was going to be the serious film, but then when she arrived on set because of Elizabeth Berkeley's acting, she could see that it was. I not see. So a it is a comment.
0: So it's like <laughs> the a quality shady of her acting. Dig. Yeah,
1: yeah. It, was a, it was a dig. And Elizabeth Berkeley. Like, if you don't know, this movie flopped tremendously. Like, we said Joe Escherhaus is, like, the highest paid screenwriter at this point, riding high on his career. Basic Instinct did incredibly well, despite the controversy around it. It was, like, considered one of the best films of the 90s. So they're riding high. They think they're, like, this power duo. They're going to make this amazing, hard-hitting film
0: cocaine is a hell of a drug cocaine is
1: a hell of a drug (laughs) and then they make showgirls and it is not seen that way people think it's sexist exploitative all kinds of things they think it's bizarre badly acted if you haven't seen it go watch it immediately and you'll understand what I'm talking about Uh, basically like it flopped it received pretty much universally negative reviews and the person that suffered the most in this is Elizabeth Berkley. Gina Gershon went on to have more of a career. Elizabeth Berkley, her agent dropped her, and other agents refused to take her call. So her career was like dead in the water. And yeah, she. But but Paul Verhoeven and Joa are are so fucking fine, right? Obviously. Totally. Oh, no, She's really the one who had to suffer the most from this decision. Her decision to do this movie. And in recent years, she's enjoyed more of a cult figure status, and has embraced that. And in uh, in Hollywood, they screened the movie at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery, and she made an appearance. And people like flipped the fuck out when she came. Like, and she was really moved by it, and that's great. But I feel like she's the only person that like will really even claim the movie. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Paul Verhoeven did go... The movie was nominated for 13 Razzies. Paul Verhoeven did go and accept his Razzie in person for worst director i mean he's just a troll like yeah he's he doesn't care yeah he just doesn't care
0: you remember during the interview we watched with him where he was like whatever i made starship troopers that's like it in a nutshell he's like i don't i don't care at all
1: (laughs) he's an an absolute troll person (laughs) really chaotic person (laughs) so the book that i'm using as sort of background for our discussion here is the book, It Doesn't Suck by the critic Andrew Naiman. It Doesn't Suck is a line that Nomi says over and over again in the film. Uh, And he, he, the book is the case for Showgirls. So it's the case for why Showgirls is actually a very deep and good film, which I agree with. Um, I think You know, I'm torn because I think Joe Esther and Paul Verhoeven were, like, on cocaine. And I think they thought that they were actually making, like, a really deep movie. And I think men are stupid. And they think that, you know, this movie about sex workers in Vegas with this trashy nudity and lesbian subplot, I think they thought they were making, like, great art. I don't know if I buy them saying in retrospect that... It was supposed to be satire all <laughs> Full along. Full satire. Yeah. Right. However, Joe Esterhaus did say in an interview that it was always supposed to be funny in a way. And he was like, I mean, come on. I had a line in there that said, it must be weird not having people come on you anymore. Like, of course, that was supposed to be a joke. From her former, from the owner of the strip club that Emmy yeah. first works at. Yeah, she does. Yeah. So I'm torn. Like, I... I don't know how how much I believe them, that it was always supposed to be funny. At the same time, like, you can't deny that those lines are inherently funny.
0: I mean, there is just also this element of doing, I mean, doing sex work is campy by virtue of doing it. And stripping whether it's, and that's sort of what part of what, the movie maybe both intentionally and unintentionally highlights that like all levels of Nomi's involvement in the sex industry, there is like camp, there is ridiculousness, there is just like too much, it's too silly, and that that is sort of inherent in there already. And then that maybe that's not really like, sure, maybe that's not, they le- They lean into, into it afterwards as like, oh yeah, we meant to do that, but Maybe
1: it's already there. I mean, I prefer that than like some other run of the mill gritty movie about sex work that has like a sad, like, uh, cool filter over it. Like, yeah, cool filter. Like, I prefer that. I prefer the sleazy glamour of showgirls to that. So right, like, what about a
0: movie like The Girlfriend Experience?
1: Hmm. Oh, The Girlfriend Experience. <laughs> okay, I forgot about that one.
0: I mean, I guess when I... We don't have to go into it that far, but I'm just thinking of, like, any films that sort of try to do a deep dive into the, like, existential questions of sex work that are written by men. I just want to, like, peel my own fingernails off, you know?
1: Yeah, exactly. And this movie, you know, for better or worse, doesn't really get into that in a way that's obnoxious. I don't
0: think so either.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's not proselytizing. It's not a morality play. It is a morality play, but it's not, it's not like basically an extended PSA on sex trafficking. Oh,
0: exactly. Yeah. 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 It's, or or e- which is something which is equally as annoying sometimes. It's not a quote unquote, defense of sex work either, in the sense right. of like trying to prove somehow that like I, I find it likewise as obnoxious when there's a suggestion that all sex work is
1: empowering in some way, or that there's something in, not like that happens that often. But the movie actually kind of takes a, a position that a lot of sex workers take, which is everything a sex work yeah so in that way like that's it's less annoying coming from these guys because it's like yeah i would agree with that yeah
0: everything is a transaction in the film and i have at many points in my life felt as if many forms of human interaction are transactional much in the same way that the film does for sure right
1: so now let's get into the plot of showgirls Young woman, young blonde woman is hitchhiking from what appears to be a, sh- a truck stop in the snow-capped mountains or seen in the distance. So it could be that she's in Colorado. Um, She could also be in the Midwest, I think. She's clearly escaping something. A pickup truck pulls over, and her driver, who is an Elvis lookalike, which is very telling because we're about to be in Vegas. Boo fantastic. Yeah, boo fantastic. He picks her up, and he keeps trying to like flirt with her, and she's not having it. And she, you know, flashes her knife. <laughs> and
0: i love how close she puts her knife to her own face yeah really enjoy so
1: we see like you know she's not fucking around they get to vegas and he like convinces her to gamble he needs to meet one of his contacts um
0: oh, oh he convinces her to leave her suitcase in the car and then says something along the lines of like what's the matter? Hasn't anyone been nice to you before?
1: And we're like, "Mm, probably not.
0: No, (laughs) certainly not a man with that hairstyle. Incorrect. Exactly.
1: (laughs) He gives her $10 and then he disappears. This is also when another guy um, propositions know me. So this is really interesting to me. At this point in the movie, like we don't know about Nomi's sex work past yet. I kind of always assumed yeah, watching it. And that is interesting to me because I remember when I first stopped doing sex work, men you would still proposition me. And it's almost like they can like smell it on you. Like mm-hmm. Men can smell the sex worker on you. I don't know what it is. Yeah, definitely. And it's probably because there is a um, a culture, there's a sex work culture. And in that culture, there is kind of the performance of high femme and femininity. Totally. And when you're dressing like that and, you know putting putting that out there i mean men are just gonna like flock to it because men don't respect them so that's that i mean there's that guy is kind of like a an omen of what's to come that guy who's propositioning her. yeah it kicks off right away yeah exactly and then she realizes that this guy who drove her has disappeared so she returns to the parking lot and she's found that his truck is gone So the man has abandoned her and stolen her suitcase. Nomi is crying, banging her fists on the side of a nearby car. The car's owner, Molly, played by Gina Rivera, confronts the impulsive Nomi. uh, In her first of many
0: thrashing episodes. Yeah,
1: she thrashes so much. So much thrashing. And Molly stops Nomi from getting run over. She pulls her back and after, uh, and they hug and Nomi kind of breaks down it's like and starts instant, crying. Instant gay content. Instant gay content s- content. So funny. When I was watching this film on mushrooms <laughs> <laughs> with, with As you're want to do. Right. You know? With my friend Laura, who is a patron of the podcast. So hi Laura. <laughs> Thank you, Laura. Yeah. <laughs> she uh was utterly convinced that Molly and Nomi were like in a relationship and I had to like break it to her they're halfway through the film that they're not actually supposed to be in a relationship. I mean <laughs> and she was like, but they're gay. Like they have very gay chemistry in this movie.
0: I mean more of Verhoven's secret lesbian worlds yeah. that are off camera. Right. You know. Yeah
1: absolutely. And Nomi and Molly are talking and Nomi reveals that she doesn't have any family or place to go. Molly offers for her to come live with her and Nomi says, are you hitting on me? And Molly is like, no. That's like, "Mm, this is very flirtatious. Mm, Yeah, incorrect. But I also think Nomi is just not used to people being nice to her uh, without any kind of sexual favor in return this is also when nomi is eating fries and she slams the fries down when so <laughs> where she's from and Where she's are like, you from different Places. <laughs> the fries go everywhere. Then we see Second a, flailing episode. Right, second. We were like doing a challenge where I was gonna just inhale poppers every time Nomi started flailing, <laughs> but it was too much. I would have like OD'd on poppers. Um two months later. Oh, and it's also Halloween at the we see that there's Halloween decorations around Vegas. Vegas is kind of an interesting setting because it's seasonless. So to indicate time passing by in the movie, they'll put up holiday decorations at different points of the film. Nomi and Molly are living together. They are acting real gay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Nomi has a job as a stripper at the uh, Cheetah's Topless Club, which is managed and run by this sleazy fuckface named Al. Who is also the club's MC?
0: Robert Davi plays pretty consistently plays a sleaze bag in all films. Yeah, that's his thing. He has a really amazing leopard or cheetah print vest on for a portion of the film. I believe it's also velvet yes oh, yeah. <laughs> <Bell> <laughs> Which, I remember at the time when we were watching it I was like I used to have a dungeon manager who looked exactly like this unironically and so like point number one for this concept of like this idea of it being that sex work is just its own satire it is like it exists as satire by itself totally <laughs>
1: Molly convinces Nomi to come to see this show, Goddess, at the Stardust Hotel, where uh, Molly is a seamstress or costume designer. I don't know
0: what, what, what role. I think a bit of, it would seem like a bit of both. Yeah, like, on-site to repair things and also potentially designing the
1: costumes as well yeah and it's a red fringe dress that nomi is wearing and she's like super excited to go to the club even though uh, to go see this show even though she's supposed to be at work she's decided to go see this show and at the show backstage this is when we meet some of the ancillary characters so we meet that horrible white woman with dreads who's gonna be an important figure (laughs) i forget her name um so we meet some of the people that are involved in the show and we see the chaotic nature of it backstage. Nomi gets to watch the show from uh, like a private sort of balcony area. Uh, I think it's interesting that the show is called Goddess. Goddess. It's like putting women on this pedestal, like kind of how tricks do of like, oh, goddess, mm-hmm. like, you're, you know, you're so above me. But really at the end of the day, the dudes are in control of everything. I have a
0: longtime Philadelphia friend whose work name
1: involved goddess, as her title. It's real. It's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> and she's watching the show and she's just like entranced and... This is when we see that it's this topless show. She's, like, imitating the moves as uh, Crystal is doing them. Yep, she's imitating the moves. She sees Crystal rise out of this volcano. And she's just got this look in her eye, like, oh, that's going to be me one day. Then Molly takes Noe backstage again to meet Crystal... And Crystal is played by Gina Gershon is immediately struck by Nomi and is lusting after her already.
0: Right, she appears at first with Molly to be just sort of friendly and genteel, and then sees Nomi and she
1: goes into predator mode. <laughs> so true, yeah she's and then she you know molly tries to plug her and say like oh nomi is a dancer too and uh crystal's like oh where do you dance and nomi is like the cheetah and that's when gina Gershon is like i don't know how good you are darling but if it's at the cheetah it ain't dancing <laughs> and then because it's a strip club and then nomi is like fuck you and leaves erratically Oh, no. she says you don't more have flailing. shit and there's more flailing and Crystal is like uh, into it
0: <laughs> that was one thing that struck me over the course of us watching it this time was that Nomi does with the exception of being as good of a dancer as everyone else. She does not appear to be a better dancer than anyone else in the film, but just as good as the other women in the film. So there's that. And then also being like of sexual interest to certain characters in the film, like Kyle McLaughlin's character, the um, producer. She does absolutely nothing to... To, like, win the favor of anyone. Like, she curses out multiple people in multiple scenes.
1: Yeah, she sure does.
0: She does not really do anything that would make folks be like, huh, what a lovely woman to be around. I definitely want to continue to promote her in ways. It just doesn't... It's one thing that I noticed this time that I... Like, wanted to talk about because I'm like, she's yells at multiple people in multiple yeah, scenes. I mean, movie. honestly,
1: I think people are attracted to her because she seems like a victim and she seems like a really damaged person. Yeah. And predators are attracted to that. And everyone in this movie who goes after Nomi is a predator. That's a really good point. Every single person. She's pretty consistently in PTSD escape mode. Yeah, I mean, she acts like someone who has been in a fight-or-flight response her entire life. Yeah. And she's a really difficult person. <laughs> and that's because she's experienced intense trauma. Yeah, totally. Um, there is also a lot made of nails in this movie, which I obviously am super into. And Crystal's way of telling Molly that she's into Nomi is to say that she likes her nails and maybe she can do hers sometime.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Very coded... Femme for femme stuff oh, there. so
0: much nail-gazing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so much nail-gazing. Also, hands are like lesbian dicks, so... Oh, of, for sure. Of course, there's a preoccupation with nails and hands, which, you know, I don't know how intentional that was on Verhoeven and House's part, but they, again, got something sort of correct. Well, now I can't stop thinking about that.
0: I, like... I like hands and fingers. Oh the yeah, quote from Sharon Stone and Basic Instinct. Yeah,
1: really hands and fingers. <laughs> um, I,
0: you know, I too like hands and fingers. Right.
1: <laughs> I also, before I forget, wanted to talk about how Andrew Naiman points out in his book that Nomi's name, Nomi Malone, is basically "no me." So the name that she's a cho- chosen for herself, we later find out, just means like "no self," like. And Which is significant because she sort of doesn't really have a personality except no. trauma mode. Yeah. And people are constantly projecting desires onto her, wants and needs and desires onto her.
0: And that was one thing that I was thinking about when you were talking about the impact of the film on Elizabeth Berkeley and the accusations about the lack of quality in her acting and things like that. Because there are these moments in the film where if Nomi were a character that had a rich backstory that they wanted us to see, there would be more depth to it. And there's just like a blank slate. There are these moments where you look at Elizabeth Berkeley's face and there's nothing behind it. And there is that question for me of, is this just not quality acting or is this actually the character that we are supposed to be looking at this character that is all action, all response, all reactivity, super traumatized. And that's what we're getting.
1: I think it is. I think like, as I always say, I don't think that people would have sunk this much mo- money into a movie if there weren't intentions behind yeah. it. Yeah. I think that to say that it's just bad acting is doing a disservice to Elizabeth Berkeley think she's a pretty good actress and i think that she acted this way intentionally and we also learn later you know big spoilers (laughs) we also learn later that she was arrested for possession of crack cocaine so she's also supposedly a recovering addict yeah which would explain a lot of her behavior as well i mean that's she's super erratic (laughs) and she was i mean she was on crack Like, she did crack. So it's that has to alter your brain chemistry. And, you know, maybe I could be being too deep with it, but I just think that if you spend months preparing for a role, you're probably thinking about all of these things.
0: Yeah, what the backstory
1: is. Yeah, exactly. So Molly and Nomi decide to go to the Crave Club. Uh, Nomi is like pretty upset about her interaction with Crystal. And she's really triggered by the suggestion that she is not a serious dancer. Uh, Anytime somebody insinuates that she might be a quote unquote whore, she gets really, really triggered. So her and Molly go to the Crave Club. And Nomi is dancing crazily <laughs> the scene is very much like the club scene of basic instinct dun, 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 dun. exactly <laughs> there is a bouncer named james who approaches nomi and asks her to dance so andrew Neiman in his book talks about how the two closest people to nomi um, who don't exploit her, are two Black characters. So James and Molly are both in her life in a way that is not predatory. Andrew Naiman in his book talks about how these two characters are sort of used to position Nomi's class status. There's a lot of Themes about class in this film and using real people as symbols to me is not, is never okay or a good idea. But I do think that that, I think that is what they are trying to do. They're trying to position Nomi as like this working class person because of her. And then she, when she moves up in class, she's no longer, um affiliated with or close to these two black actors. I mean
0: I think there's a lot there's a lot to tease out in the first scene of her meeting James in the nightclub. I mean I agree with you that he is really more of a fuckboy than anything else, but he does also present their relationship as oppositional from the get because he he says he, like, tells her that she can't dance right away.
1: I mean, he's, like, negging her.
0: Right, yeah. It's a it's a definite, oh, yeah, I, you can't dance, but I can teach you. So, like, he's already sort of trying to leverage her, like, leverage that against her to use her for something. It's unclear what that's for right now besides perhaps sex.
1: Yeah, and I think that James has also used... To, he's compared to Kyle McLaughlin's character, right. who is this upper class white man. And James is just like more upfront about his like fuck, fuck boyishness. Yeah. And cool. Kyle McLaughlin is better at hiding it and being like super deceptive and sleazy about it. It's true. And ultimately, the film kind of concludes that they're both the same, actually, not even the same. Like, Kyle McLaughlin is way more evil than James could ever be.
0: And this nightclub scene kicks off the use of black characters in the film as ex- the ones experiencing violence.
1: Yes, because of Nomi,
0: because of Nomi. Right. So a fight breaks out. Um it's between James and white men in the club. You see Nomi walk back from the fight occurring and she's smiling. Right. Like at the fight. She's like amused in some way by it. And then the bouncers pull her out of the club, or I think that leads to some, it leads to her arrest. So she ends up in a jail cell with other sex workers. Yes. Assumedly street based sex workers that had gotten picked up that night. So it's like she's always. She's only ever a couple of steps away from her previous forms of sex work in the film. It's
1: like, one up, one down, one up, one down. Yeah, and then James, uh, does, he bails her out, I guess, of jail? I guess so. I mean, he's there for her when she gets released, and he is, again, trying to pursue her. Still negging. Yeah, still negging, and she says a lot of, like, iconic lines, like, life sucks, you know? He's like, what is... What is is that, a t-shirt? And she's just like angrily stomping away in her fringe dress. He's like grabbing her, she's not having it. She uh, jumps into Molly's car and they speed away. Molly tells her that Al, the guy who manages her at the club, is really pissed that she hasn't gone to work the night before. So now we see her backstage at the strip club. Um, (laughs) then we meet this other woman (laughs) 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 who is also a figure at the strip club and she is a fat woman who does like an opening act at the strip club where she pops her boobs out of her dress and it's very, very bizarre. I don't know. What do you make of this character?
0: I mean, I've seen this sort of trope at strip clubs, maybe even once or twice in person. Yeah, it seems like it's, yeah, it's usually uh, a fat woman who is some type of comedy act before Mm
1: -hmm.
0: stripping.
1: So that actually happens.
0: I believe that actually, I think I've actually seen it in person once or twice. Yeah. Wow, that's Interesting. It's it's a bit of a throwback thing. I don't think it's something that happens quite as much.
1: Well, as I could it used see to. because stripper stripping comes from burlesque, which is like a vaudeville offshoot. So that makes sense that there would be these acts before and after um, the burlesque acts.
0: And it's not. I think it's not uncommon in right. It's not uncommon in general for a comedy to be mixed in with stripping. Well, but this particular yes. use of her body in that way is its own specific
1: thing <laughs> yes, definitely its own thing we meet penny who is basically as andrew namen says in his book a doppelganger of nomi uh she sort of reflects back this naivete and is maybe like a court sort of a younger version of nomi bright-eyed and bushy-tailed um Al insists on renaming Penny uh, Hope, right? He's like, no one wants to fuck a Penny. They want to fuck a Faith, or a Hope, or a Heather. And then he's like, if you want to last, you'll blow me. And she's like, oh my god, is he serious? So he's like a total sleazeball. This is when Crystal Connors and Kyle McLaughlin... Zach, I believe his name is.
0: Short. Oh, yes, of course his name is Zach.
1: Yeah. Classic 90s name. Right. And they show up at the strip club. They show up at cheetah, specifically to find Nomi because Crystal is a fucking creep. <laughs> and they watch her do this manic pole dance where Nomi famously licks the stripper pole. I'm terrified for her mouth. I'm
0: so yeah, scared. that's so
1: disgusting. <laughs> Crystal is like entranced by her. and Oh, they're drinking
0: Crystal, right? Or they're drinking some high-end champagne. Yes, they're drinking Crystal. <laughs>
1: yeah. And Nomi sees them in the crowd and is horrified that Crystal is there, but then also kind of performs for her. Like, she's Hates Crystal, but she also kind of wants her attention and approval. Oh, absolutely. Because this is when she licks the stripper pole, when she realizes that Crystal is there. Crystal tries to buy a lap dance from Nomi, and Nomi is not having it, but she offers $500, and Al, you know, accepts for her. (laughs) Who's been
0: lurking in the background of the conversation.
1: Right. So she takes them to a back room, and she does this epic lap dance for Kyle MacLachlan, uh, where she gets, like, completely naked and rides his lap until he comes. And it's basically... A vehicle for Crystal and Nomi to fuck each other. I mean, like, let's be real. Nomi is really performing for both of them. It's like a threesome by proxy. Oh, absolutely. And she was so adamant about not doing this lap dance, but she, like, gives it her all. (laughs) You would think if she really didn't want to do it... I mean, I guess, she, you know, she wants the money, but... She really goes above and beyond here. I mean, it's kind of like a fuck you to Crystal as well, because she's like, look, look what I can do to your man. And it,
0: it is just like all of the all of her movements in the film, from her like PTSD flare ups to the dancing itself, it is just like really hard thrusting motion. To the sex too, yeah. it's all like hard thrusting motions of. <laughs> Flailing, flailing part 2000 of Nomi Malone in the Smell.
1: Yes. James is somehow watching (laughs) through a beaded curtain. And yeah, I don't know how he got there. So the next day James shows up at Nomi's house and is like, I have a dance. I wrote a dance for you. And he's like, you fucked that guy and that woman last night. Like, you both fucked them. So there's, like, throughout the movie, you fucked both of them. So throughout the movie, there are people that keep trying to remind Nomi that she is just a hooker, like, to have no illusions about what it is that she's doing. Dancing ain't fucking. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but it is. But it's not.
1: Right. Oh, and he says the line, everybody got AIDS and shit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So he's like, you know, kind of shaming her, sex shaming her, slut shaming her, whatever. Molly and Nomi go to the forum. And this is when Nomi buys her Versace dress.
0: Mm -hmm. She has the money. She
1: has the money from her lap dance. And she really wants to buy this Versace dress. She thinks it's pronounced Versace. Um, she gets it. This is also when Molly sees the poster of Andrew Carver, who is this like fictional pop star who looks like Fabio. Oh, yeah. Who was very popular at that time in the 90s. It's true. So it's Very Fabio-esque. Yeah, yeah, definitely a play on that. And this is when Molly said she hasn't had sex in so long. She can barely thread a needle anymore because she's masturbating so much is the implication. <laughs> and it, she wants to fuck Andrew Carver, so that's like her fantasy fuck. That night at the club, Nomi is dancing again. She does a very lesbian dance with penny and which kind of reinforces their uh, relationship to each other their similarities seeing them together like that lesbianism has been used by men historically to tie two women together thematically lesbianism is used by men very commonly as like uh a motif not as actual representation of lesbian sexuality so the guy from one of the guys from the stardust who was with kyle mclaughlin and crystal asks nomi to come to this audition and nomi is like she sent you didn't she Mm -hmm. and she's pissed off about it because crystal is like trying to get her claws into her so Nomi now goes to the audition to be an ensemble dancer and goddess, and she's caught off guard because at the audition, the gross callous director, uh, Tony Moss, refers to Nomi as Pollyanna because of her outfit. <coughs> like she, whatever, looks, right? Like she looks more <laughs> conservative as compared to the other dancers, and that's going to be significant later, considering what's revealed about Nomi uh, at the end of the movie. Nomi dashes backstage and removes her blouse and dances in her underwear.
0: <laughs> that scene reminded me so much of the first time I did sex work, which was a foot fetish party, and I remember wearing a what I thought was a sexy dress. And I showed <laughs> up, and everyone was in their underwear, and I immediately went back to the locker room and just took off what I had on because... <laughs>
1: Yeah, Yeah. I mean, that's happened to me, too. Like, I, um, you know, I'm not going to reveal too much uh, of what exactly I was doing. But (laughs) I was in a scenario where I had to, like, basically go on an interview, like a job interview. Yeah. And the guy was like, "Uh, you look like a school mom because you have on glasses. And Oh, yeah,
0: glasses are a strong... that is so funny because I still associate wearing my glasses with not doing sex work. Yeah. That and shaving my legs. For a long time, I couldn't shave my legs without associating it with sex work.
1: Yeah. Uh, and I was like wearing a slutty outfit and had a full face of makeup on, but because I had... Glasses. I was, I was a school mark Oh, yeah. Glass. You
0: can only, in sex work, you can only wear fake glasses and for a very brief period of time. Yeah. If
1: you're doing like a school teacher thing. Yeah,
0: but they have to come off
1: mm-hmm. pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, Pollyanna. Right. So Nomi dances in her underwear and she notices Crystal watching silently from the darkened the theater. Lurking. <laughs> Predatory lurking. Right. They put the these women <laughs> through this grueling audition process. Tony Moss is a fucking asshole. Um, all these women are like, I've had all these classes. And he gets to know me. And Nomi is like, I haven't had any classes. And he's like, then what are you doing here? And she's like, I'm watching you be a prick. And he likes her moxie. Uh, but then he goes too far because he asks, he's like, this is a topless show. We got to see some tits. Take your tops off. And he's like, why aren't you hard? And Nomi's like, excuse me? And he's like, your nipples. Why aren't you hard? And he's like, I'm erect. Why aren't you erect? <laughs> and then they bring out some ice cubes. And Nomi, like, hits the ice cubes into his face and like walks off stage angrily because she feels like she's being degraded and this is also when you notice that tony and al are the same person basically right
0: blowjobs ice of the nipples same difference yeah same and it's same. kind of
1: uh, like how that video essay we were watching by margarita g she's talking about how Nomi is constantly trying to get out of this cycle of degradation and sexual abuse, but the film is showing that she can't. And anytime she reaches a new level, it might be a new level in the game, but it's still in the game.
0: And that's something I have felt about sex work for a long time. I did sex work for a decade in very in different spaces with different people. And at the end of the day, the quality of one's ability to work in an environment that does not feel degrading is determined solely by who is around you and how they treat you.
1: Right. And Nomi goes backstage. She's like on the verge of tears. Crystal finds her and she's like, did you like that? And Crystal's (laughs) like, yeah, I think I did, darling. And then Nomi tells Crystal that she hates her. (laughs) <laughs> which is like such a like a child response i hate you yeah exactly i mean she's like a tra- she's a traumatized child yeah uh as she leaves the stardust upset Nomi finds james working as a bellhop and uh this again like he's a working class person who's like constantly rotating between these working class jobs right. he gets fired from his job yet again <laughs> <laughs> uh, because of Nomi, basically. Right,
0: which is, like, another thing about the the juxtaposition of the Black characters in her life and her choices, and what we were talking about earlier with this thing of, like, her whiteness allows her to keep, even though in every position she is, it is pointed out to her that she's a whore, that she's an object, she still gets to ascend, and she isn't do like in some ways like molly is the most pliant of the characters like acquiescing to the rules of the game so to speak and nomi is like constantly telling people
1: to fuck off constantly being destructive and difficult well this this none of the things that happen in this movie to nomi would happen based on how she acts if she were not white exactly <laughs> so yeah it's, and you see that with James because right. he acts like her.
0: He acts like her and he gets fired. Yeah, exactly. And she
1: doesn't. Yeah, and they're basically the same person in a lot of ways. Yeah, they're very similar. Like very erratic, very like in the moment, impulsive people. Like sex. <laughs> 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 they go back to James's apartment and they have uh, he demonstrates a dance number. He says that he used to be a dancer in New York and he was danced with Alvin Ailey. Who is a very uh, famous, prominent black modern dancer?
0: And there's a lot of photographs on the walls to suggest that it's sort of a bare, slightly messy apartment, but there are all of these large, unframed photographs of him dancing.
1: Yeah, he's like a he's a starving artist, like genuinely a starving artist and has formal training and formal education and should theoretically be moving up in that world and yet he's in the same position as Nomi who has no fucking training and she gets to move up in the dance world. Right. And it's also kind of implied that James is just not a sellout also. Like he sort of refuses to he won't he's like believes in his art. Yeah. That's what his private dance number is. Like, he wants to make it as an artist, and he shames Nomi for um, moving up in this horribly exploitative system.
0: But the only thing that Nomi has to work off of is her, like... Almost at times aggressive sexuality. Yeah, it feels weird to use the word aggressive there, but I just keep thinking of how much flailing she does in the movie. So
1: no, it's super aggressive. They have like a intimate encounter where they almost have sex, and then Nobi is like, "I have my," Nobi's like, "I have my period," <laughs> and then James puts his hands down her pants and like sees blood on his fingers, <laughs> and she's like, "See, I told you." And this to me when I. Feel the first time I saw it was like, whoa! Like you never actually see menstrual blood in movies.
0: Yeah, or someone be like, check. Just like she suggests that he check that she's on her period, which happens, which is like, right. That is like a very real life thing that so rarely makes its way into a movie. Yeah,
1: and he's like, oh, well, so what? I got towels. <laughs> which is also like a very real life. But also,
0: thing. yeah, also a thing. <laughs> yep.
1: Yeah. But,
0: like, all, you know, all of her potential moments of intimacy or uh, vulnerability in the film, she runs off and hails a cab. Exactly. And is out of there in
1: a matter of seconds. Yes. And he's like, I see you. And she's like, you don't even know me. And he's like, but I see you. And... It's just kind something of something
0: like, along the lines of, like, um, you, I see you, I see you hiding. hiding from yourself, yeah.
1: Which he's like, it's like a corny thing to say, but he's also not wrong, yeah, absolutely. Um, so despite the audition, Novi gets the job and immediately quits the cheetah and mouths off to Al one final time. And she excitedly rushes over to James's place to tell him about her new job, but she finds him having sex with another woman who it, it's Penny. One of the former co-dancers of the Cheetah. Her even more Pollyanna doppelganger. Exactly. Um, and he's like, you and me, we ain't got no ties. And she's like, I guess you're right. And <laughs> leaves. And then he says something like, "Like a, you hear him say something that he said to know me too, Penny. Uh, so we're like, okay, so James is kind of an asshole. <laughs> oh, he also says like, I got a problem with pussy. <laughs> Which, like, I have to point out is really fucked up for a number of ways because it's, like, this really over-sexualization or hyper-sexualization of the only black man in the movie. Um, Like, making him into this philanderer and this cheater and this person who can't control himself around these blonde white women.
0: Right, especially when he's... Obviously a foil for Zach, the Kyle McLaughlin character, who seamlessly moves from one star to another.
1: Right. Yeah, they're very much linked in that way. There's a lot
0: of... Um... But the difference is that Zach moves up and... Um, the other character moves down uh, yeah absolutely
1: there's a lot of doppelganger stuff in this movie like crystal and nomi are also doppelgangers um and when i say doppelgangers i don't mean they actually look alike i just mean that they're supposed to mirror each other's path like in life like a doppelganger theme usually uh one of the people it reflects everything that's wrong with the other person yeah so uh yeah, and then James James and Zach are maybe not doppelgangers, but like you said, foils to each other.
0: Yeah. And I mean we'll get to this later with James's character, but it's like James's choices increase his failure, whereas Zach is completely above the ability to fail. He is a, at a point where failure is like never going to happen for him. Right. It's
1: just impossible. Yeah. Um, unless he like embezzles money and gets caught for it or something.
0: Right. And he's flanked by other white men yeah. who are doing the exact same thing he's doing. And they're support- They're all supporting each other in doing that.
1: Right. So meeting with the producers of Goddess, Nomi wears a, the brand new dress that she bought at Versace and here, Nomi inadvertently reveals her uneducated upbringing when she mispronounces her Versace dress design as a Versace in front of everyone, and no one corrects her on it except Zach, who tells her that she looks beautiful and she has great taste.
0: He does do a number of bizarre things in this film, and I wonder what I wonder what you think about it too. Where it's like um, there's a part later where. He's making a phone call and he says, oh, I got an MBA for this. And she's like, what's an MBA? Um, And so I like part of me is like, is he just. Is he just trying to enter her into a conversation that she's not prepared for? Does he give a shit about is he grooming her?
1: I think he's grooming her. Yeah. Um, I think James. At one point. uh, Calls him a pimp. And that's really what he is. Yeah. He grooms women to sell them. That's like what a pimp does. Yeah, yeah. So uh, James sees that and he's right. And uh, then we also see like Nomi goes to personnel and she doesn't know, like have a social security number or right. family members to put down as her emergency contact or anything. So she's like a no me, Like she's a personless person. Yeah. She doesn't have family, anybody who's going to be looking for her. Um, afterwards, Crystal calls a truce and takes Nomi out for lunch at a fancy restaurant. And
0: (laughs) essentially are like one of those restaurants that's inside the casino still, though, like, you know, when you go into a casino and there's just like that giant courtyard rotunda, whatever the fuck in the middle. And then Mm -hmm. there's like all those restaurants off of it. It's like they're inside the casino still yeah
1: it's like a fake uh painting of clouds and sky (laughs) um they discover that they have similar backgrounds both have had troubled and unhappy childhoods and left home at a young age to make something of themselves crystal's deeply flirting with nomi she's like you have nice tits
0: Oh, and they don't forget that they bond over doggy chow. Yeah, they
1: bond over having enjoyed doggy chow when they were poor, mm-hmm. like eating doggy chow and, and actually liking it. Um, Crystal calls Nomi a whore again, and Nomi angrily denies it.
0: And I think then- it's interesting, too. I was thinking about that part. Nomi says, um, it made me feel like a hooker. Mm, about her tits at the cheetah. About wow. her tits of the cheetah. Right. And then, but then Crystal says in response, well, you are a whore. Yeah. I think the, like, word cho-
1: I found the word choice switch interesting. Well, when uh, Nomi says it made me feel like a hooker and Crystal says, well, you are a whore, darling. We all are. Well, because whore is more, uh a word that's used as a catch right? and hooker is like a very specific thing
0: right that's a, yeah that's what I thought yeah. about it too exactly um, we take the cash we cash the check we show them what they want to see
1: absolutely <laughs> that is, yeah Amen to that. Gina Gershon's acting is really good in the scene um, the way that she's like eyeing Nomi also sizing her up Oh, and they keep, they both
0: keep dipping their fingers in the champagne, which Mm -hmm. I also really enjoy. Right. Or their acrylics, just the nail right into the champagne.
1: Yeah, and Crystal says they're all whores because they exchange sexual titillation for cash. Crystal acknowledges that she's attracted to Nomi, obviously. Um, Never the, like, Nomi seems like she doesn't almost doesn't have a sexuality yeah which is very common of people who have done survival sex work and like people who've been doing sex work from a really young age and just the her like deep deep trauma yeah Yeah. deep trauma like not knowing actually what she really enjoys so at this point she's kind of just like acquiesces to crystal's advances i think because that's like what she does
0: and because there's no sex that occurs in the film and this was something that came up in that um Margarita G. We we listened to uh, a something called "Is This Fantasy," which was like a YouTube video that someone made um, discussing different aspects of the film, and that's one point that she brings up, which is that what she compares a sex scene that Nomi has with Zach to us to the time in the Cheetah when she gives him a lap dance. But you can also compare the sex with James. I mean, I know they don't have sex. They're just dancing. But all three of those sex scenes are all her performing. They're not her having sex.
1: No. I think the only time she's really genuine is when she's around Molly. When she's, like, really a baby. Yeah. And, I mean, it's, like, realistic because it's like this white woman sort of dumping on this black femme.
0: Yeah, all of this emotional labor. Yeah,
1: exactly. So she allows Crystal to engage her in this erotic dance alone at the Stardust Theater. <laughs> and, uh, oh right,
0: Crystal picks out music yeah. and like takes her top off. Yeah, Crystal <laughs> rips
1: off Nomi's top and caresses her bare breasts puts her hand on her neck and she leans in for a kiss and then Crystal sneers at Nomi and says, See darling, you are a whore. There are so many moments in
0: this movie where people are touching her breasts that she does not want touching her breasts.
1: Yeah, and she doesn't protest because I think I mean she's just accustomed to it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Nomi storms out again in a fury and then from this point on the two are rivals once more. And Crystal repeatedly takes malicious swipes at Nomi on and off stage In a never-ending attempt to portray Nomi as a cheap whore Including sending Nomi on a promotional appearance with Zach's assistant, Phil Newkirk Um, Just
0: another piece of trash white man Yeah Like, just garbage And
1: Crystal knows from experience that Nomi is going to be approached to have sex for money at this convention She thinks it's going to be like an easy thousand dollars, but there's more to it and nomi furiously rejects phil's proposition and then she mistakenly thinks that she has an ally in zach who pretends to chew phil out over the incident but then once nomi leaves calls phil and is like you know (laughs) haha like it is
0: a really incredible use of a flip phone yeah he like he's like I'm calling from the stage. Yeah, like calls on his flip phone, and yeah. then Phil, sh- like, number one, in what universe would that man show up like two minutes later? Right, Seriously. right. Where were they? <laughs> he was like, literally, would have had to have been next to the stage for yeah. that to happen.
1: Literally, yeah, that's when Zach is like, "I got an MBA for this," and Melby <laughs> like, "What's an MBA?" <laughs> but he's like attracted to what he perceives as her, an uh, intelligence. He's into it. He's as yeah. like this bimbo that he can exploit and take yeah, advantage of. Absolutely. So one night, uh, Nomi agrees to a car ride from Zach and they end up at his large estate outside of the city. Nomi seduces Zach and they have sex in his swimming pool. It's <laughs> <laughs> a very, very famous scene. Um, Nomi has sex with him the exact same way that she. Humped him during the lab dance
0: yeah if you've ever seen a dolphin jump through water yeah you sort of have an idea of I mean number one it looks like she's backwards drowning for half of the scene she's
1: flailing violently Oh, I keep thinking of like how is how bad it is for people to have sex in the water. I just keep thinking
0: about that feeling that you get when you jump in the water and your nose fills with water. Yeah. That's all I can think about in that scene. Yup. And no condoms. Because there's like a waterfall and she's yeah. like thrashing into the water.
1: <laughs> I know. It's insane. So then the next morning, but we see there that her sec- the sex again is also performance.
0: Oh yeah. It does not look intimate at all.
1: Mm-mm. So, as Nomi leaves the next morning, Zach mentions to her that there's an audition to be Crystal's understudy. And, um. Oh, yeah, okay, he, he tries to get her to stay. He tries to get her to stay. To, like,
0: fuck more, I would assume. Yeah. And she's like, no, I gotta go. I already called a cab. And he's like, send the cab back. And she's like, no, I'm not gonna do that. Um, which is actually probably the most chill version of her escaping that we've seen through the
1: movie because normally she's like, I gotta go. Yeah, well, she's more in her element now. She knows how to deal with the trick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she's like,
0: no boundaries. We're done here. Yeah, I mean, exactly. We've had sex for one evening. Yeah.
1: And earlier, we forgot to mention that there's a rivalry between two other showgirls that is kind of mimicking the rivalry between Crystal and Nomi. And um, it led to an onstage sabotage incident where the horrible white showgirl with dreads uh, throws these beads, these loose beads down on the stage. And one of the dancers, a man, is holding up this woman that she has a rivalry with and drops her and the woman breaks her leg. Yeah. And... This could not have been thought about by Paul Verhoeven or Esther Haas. I don't think that they are this deep.
0: No, most likely not. Yeah,
1: but the fact that it's a white woman with an appropriate hairstyle injuring a black woman is deeply significant to me. Like if, whether it was intentional or not, right? It is like it feels crazy that it's not intentional because why does that woman have that hairstyle? It's random. She's the only white woman in the movie with that hairstyle. I
0: mean, the only thing I can think of is the, like, sort of boderic popularity of that hairstyle amongst stupid white women Mm -hmm. in the mid-'90s. But, like, that still doesn't...
1: But why that character?
0: why that character? Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's... And, again, like, uh, this is another example in this movie of a black person experiencing, like, the brunt of the physical pain, like, the actual, not just emotional pain, but, like, literally physically being harmed in the film. Yeah. And uh, so then, so that happens, and Nomi doesn't, Nomi sees it happening, and she doesn't say anything about it. And
0: it's perhaps the only person who saw the entire turn of events. She saw the dreadlocked white woman, throw the beads she saw she saw the black woman fall she had an opportunity to she was directly asked at one point like if she saw anything that happened and she doesn't say anything exactly
1: and this is when like the white woman with dreads aligns herself with Nomi which I said to Sarah when we were watching it, like, you know, you fucked up if that person likes you. Yeah,
0: that person's like, oh, we're cool now, cool. Yeah, like, you
1: fucked up. No. really. So then this is when Nomi tries out for the position of Crystal's understudy. At the audition, Crystal senses a shift in the energy, (laughs) and Zach suggests that Nomi be Crystal's understudy The choreographer agrees that Nomi has heat. She prowls. Lord. (laughs) Right. And Tony disagrees, but makes a remark about Crystal's age. And Crystal also finds out that Zach slept with Nomi. And Zach gloats over and he says, are you jealous or or is it because i beat you to the punch because he knows that crystal wants to fuck know me definitely
0: the second one dude. Yeah, definitely, the second
1: definitely one. no the one's second jealous one. over no one is jealous. kyle mclaughlin except for like his status and money
0: and it's like really unclear honestly now that i'm even thinking about it like what is his interest in either one of like he thinks that both of these women are cunts like in different ways, anyway. Like, what's his interest besides being a pimp? Like I think that's it. Yeah. Like he calls Crystal a bitch at some point. Like when they go to the strip club at the beginning of the movie, he's like, Oh, you're such a bitch. Like, it doesn't I can't tell if he like likes that. He's or whatever. a pimp and he
1: has a main girl yeah. at a <laughs> time. Like, that's just what he does. Yeah. How he no, operates. Very true. Um so nomi crystal finds out that zach slept with nomi blah 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 when nomi gets the position as the understudy Crystal's furious and nomi feels she finally has the upper hand but crystal threatens to leave the show and sue the producers so they feel like they can't do anything but reverse their decision nomi's furious her clumsy grab for power has alienated most of the other dancers except for the white lady with dreads and now crystal seems to be in control again Nomi goes to see James perform his dance and music number at the Crave Club, where he and his co dancers uh, are booed off the stage.
0: Yeah, it's pretty brutal. And then they immediately switch off the music and switch over to being like, we're gonna, now the strippers are coming out.
1: Don't worry. Yeah. That was annoying. Right. <laughs> James takes the bad experience... I mean, he's, like, jaded. He's like, okay, Penny's pregnant. Her mom owns a grocery store. I'm gonna work there. It's, like, really tragic, actually. Very. And he's giving up dancing. And you can Um, see
0: in both of their... You can see in both Nomi and James's faces that they both understand what this means for James. Right. That this is, like, a dead end.
1: Yeah, this is it. He's not gonna be a dancer. Yeah. And... Nomi bids him farewell. And then during the performance of Goddess that night, there's the BDSM fetish. (laughs) Okay, there's so many good dances in Goddess. So many
0: good outfits. So many good
1: outfits. There's the one where it's like, na, 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 na. (laughs) And Crystal (laughs) is like taken up into the heavens and they're all in those glittery ball gowns. My God, I
0: love those glittery ball gowns. They're my favorite. I really love any of the ones where there's like, tracks of glitter in their hair or gemstones gem like those are amazing yeah and they
1: always have to like it's so funny because they all have on heavy faces of makeup but the makeup is different for every scene of goddess so it's like how are they changing <laughs> their
0: makeup I have no idea. it's like
1: so improbable but I don't care um, and then of course there's the BDSM fetish kink section of Goddess. <laughs> Where everyone oh is God. in leather, there's like lots of simulated sex. Yeah, Crystal. there's so much
0: cunt smacking. Yeah. Crystal, oh, like, love comes down.
1: cunt smacking that's <laughs> part. Crystal comes down from the ceiling, like, <laughs> suspended by her wrists. Oh, that's right. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And everybody is ripping off her clothes. Yeah. sadomasochism. <laughs> People are on motorcycles. Oh, God, I forgot about you yeah. part. Ah. Nomi and Crystal are like doing some sexually charged duet together and Crystal's like taunting Nomi like tripping her on stage oh yeah Met, like drops her at her house at one point point, yeah. picks her and back up she leads her off the stage and she's like come on slave girl
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then Nomi pushes Crystal down the flight of stairs which leads to the dressing rooms injuring her and sending her to the hospital um, that looks brutal those metal brutal, stairs yeah Molly knows that Nomi pushed Crystal, but another dancer, the white lady with dreads, backs up Nomi's story that it was really an accident and pretends that she saw the whole thing. So now that Crystal can't perform, she's going to be in the hospital for a while, Nomi ends up getting Crystal's lead in the show, where she makes a debut and is suddenly the talk of the town. Uh, Nomi
0: Malone is goddess.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Molly has deduced that Nomi actually pushed pushed Crystal and confronts her with the truth. But Nomi just refuses to admit it. And she's like, she fell. And Molly is like, wow. Okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We were both like, the moment, that feeling when you realize you're in an abusive relationship. (laughs) And you're just like,
1: okay. Okay. I got a good okie-dokie. Right, it's so triggering. (laughs) It's a trigger warning. Yeah. Ah. Nomi, like, grabs Molly and is like, Molly, I love you. Don't leave me. Yeah, and Molly is like, get away from (laughs) her!" Exactly. (laughs) And then Molly storms out of the place, and Nomi tries to make amends and includes her on the guest list of this premiere party that they're going to. At Caesar's palace where Nomi has been propositioned earlier to go see Caesar sing. Mm -hmm. That's when, when she was with, when she was at the, um, the car show where she's supposed to, where she was being pimped out. basically, Mm -hmm. And they were like propositioning her for sex. The way that they were doing it was like, we're going to go see Caesar sing. Have you ever seen Caesar sing? You'll love it. And then Zach says that. And that doesn't click for her yet. Yeah. Or she's willfully ignoring it and so they go to Caesar's palace um things seem to be going great for Nomi she's finally secured her fame and fortune she's initially uh, sought Molly shows up at the party
0: right seemingly as a sort of not like a mea culpa but just like we codependency (laughs) girl. She's like, I'm not done being abused yet.
1: (laughs) She shows up. They like making amends. Oh, Um,
0: God. I know. Nomi is already like love bombing her. And you're just like, more trigger warning.
1: (laughs) Andrew Carver is at the party, which is Molly's crush. He is introduced to Nomi and he says something fucking disgusting to her. Yeah. Where he's like, I like your tits. Call oh, me yeah, something like
0: that. Yeah,
1: and she still sets her up, him up with Molly, which on this is my like thousandth watch of this film, and this is like this really disturbed me more than it ever has.
0: I mean, it also is like it just goes along with the whole like PTSD thing of like. Seeking seeking safety in unsafe places, like, not knowing what's really, like, not knowing how much danger you're really in, like, narrowly escaping violence or experiencing violence, and, yeah, I mean, as we've already talked about, like, black characters and specifically the one black female character who I mean there is another black female character in the um other dancer who also gets
1: really hurt also
0: gets really hurt but like the the actual I mean Molly as like one of the primary characters of the film is like constantly serving as the stand-in for what, for the violence that happens in these dangerous circumstances. That they're consistently in dangerous
1: circumstances. Yeah. And so she introduces Molly to Andrew Carver. Who brutally rapes her. Um, along with his two security guards. So he takes her upstairs. And they brutally gang rape her. And it is hands down the worst rape scene I've ever seen in a movie. Like it's awful it's it's so fucking
0: hard it's really really fucking disgusting
1: it's it happens at at the highest point of the movie like when nomi has uh, supposedly achieved everything that she's wanted to and this you know molly's fantasy of being with the celebrity and nomi's fantasy of being the star both get tarnished at the same time and I don't know it just doesn't sit right with me that like Molly has to be so harmed in order for Nomi to like come to this realization of everything being fake it's like did she know the whole time that this was like I don't know I think Nomi is like Margarita said in that essay like naive to everything that's going on and doesn't see it as an extension of like her traumatic life until this moment
0: yeah i mean it's interesting because it's like the there's a flip-flop right because the the first portion of the film is molly supporting Nomi in getting a home and getting a job in like her getting more success in her life. And then it's sort of after Molly realizes that Nomi is actually a piece of shit who would like let someone, let a black woman get hurt and not say anything. Then it switches where it's like Molly agrees to come to this party where she's not safe. Well, neither one of them is hypothetically safe, but the person who ultimately gets hurt, really, really, really fucking hurt, is Molly. Yeah,
1: and she stumbles out into the party, like bleeding, and passes out and falls the on the floor. floor. Yeah, yeah, it's really awful. And I mean, Paul Verhoeven is a is a pig. Like he and Joe Eszterhas, like they have rape scenes in so many of their movies, and. Um, I, I can't justify this scene. Like, I understand what it does narratively, but I find it, like, one of the more... And I can stomach a lot, and I find it, like, one of the more, like, upsetting things that I just can't ever get behind or feel okay with in a movie.
0: Yeah, on this watching, it really just it hit me in a lot of ways of just how... Culpable, Nomi is to so many of the things that happen, and she behaves as if she's sort of this free agent. But Molly is behind the scenes supporting her in all of these ways. And the one yeah. time in which she could have looked out for her, she doesn't.
1: Exactly. So Molly is taken to the hospital. Uh, to treat her injuries and Zach tells Nomi that they will give Molly some money to keep her quiet that their primary interest is in protecting their high-profile celebrity clients and not in seeking justice for Molly and he's like if you like her I'll make sure she he gives her enough money she can open a dress shop
0: which I personally in the back of my mind I was like <laughs> That is the least that you owe her, Nomi, is to like get her a fucking fat fucking check. Like, what the fuck?
1: I know. It's like,
0: ugh. Like, if you know, and all of this talk about this is the so this is like a running theme question too of like this concept of trying to get out of a state of being perceived as a hooker or being perceived as someone who like does all this transactional shit. And then when push comes to shove, it's, like, here is actually an opportunity for certainly not justice, but some form of retribution for your friend who now, I assume, has, like, a lot of medical bills. And, like, what the fuck is she going to do when she gets out of the hospital? She certainly can't fucking... Is she going to go back to working at Goddess? She
1: can't. Like, she... Yeah, exactly. It's, like, I always thought I was a monster for being, like, I would take the fucking dress shop, but... Honestly, yeah. Like, no, she (laughs) needs a dress job. Yeah, exactly. What is she get? Like you said, what is she gonna do? Go work back at the Stardust? Like, no. Um, So Zach, Nomi decides to make an anonymous phone call to the police, but then Zach confronts her with the truth that he's discovered her and that her real name is Ann. So that's why she reacted so crazy when um tony moss called her pollyanna mm-hmm. and zach made a background check on her and um because she was arrested at the crave club a few weeks ago he's got her fingerprints and everything and there's a police file containing all the truth about her and we find out that she is a runaway a former prostitute named Pollyanne costello from san francisco And back in 1989 at age 15, Polly's father murdered her mother and then killed himself in a drunken rage. Polly then ran away from foster home in nearby Oakland the following year and has drifted around the country ever since. She changed her name several times and has been arrested for several times for an assortment of crimes ranging from possession of crack cocaine to solicitation and assault with a deadly weapon.
0: I'm hoping that was the switchblade, but that's just me. Right. Well, to go should. with the uh, Siskel and Ebert uh, reference to bitch goddesses with knives. Yes,
1: I forgot <laughs> about that. Yeah, that's what they called it when this came out. Um, so Nomi is, as we've suspected the entire movie, coming from a place of extreme trauma and has had a remarkably shitty life. And has done survival sex work all of her life and has been trying to get out of it for years. Um She, Zach puts his hand around her neck and is like, you're going to make a lot of money for the stardust.
0: It's a really intense close-up. It's,
1: it's really intense. And she's like crying. And then he says, tell me, what did you charge when you were hooking? And she's like 50, 100 sometimes. Because she's a... I mean, Straight up survival worker, and he says, "You have low self esteem, baby. You're a fantastic fuck." And then she smiles at him and then spits in his face. <laughs> and at this point, like I've always thought of this as like a really triumphant moment in the movie, but I started to think of Nomi as like really egotistical. And like just defending her own ego instead of like thinking about really what's best for Molly, right? In this scenario, the
0: only person who has lovingly and unabashedly supported her throughout the film,
1: exactly. Now that she's been confronted with her past, she's frightened at the selfish and greedy person that she's become. Um, and Nomi decides to pay a visit to Andrew Carver. She gets all dressed up. She puts on her uh, her war nails. <laughs> <laughs> and because Carver has made propositions to her from the moment he met her, Nomi has no problem getting into his hotel room where she strips for him and then pulls out a switchblade and then kicks the shit out of him and uh, then slips off away without his bodyguards noticing. And it's very much like a rape revenge narrative there (laughs) which god which is um you know a very common exploitation film trope so it sort of pushes this movie into this like 70s exploitation film uh aesthetic almost in that scene and then Nomi goes to the hospital and she bids Goodbye to Molly. She says, I... She brings her a
0: teddy bear. She brings
1: her a teddy bear and she's like, I went to see Carver. I kicked the shit out of him. And this is when I was like, okay, but what's going to happen to her when she gets discharged from the hospital? Like, Nomi has decided to leave Vegas. Like, she's... By kicking the shit out of Andrew Carver, like, she's completely ruined any possibility of her, like, continuing to be in this production. The dress shop's not happening. The dress shop's not happening. Exactly. Like, she's burned every single bridge she had in Vegas and is, like, back to square one. And I just kept thinking, like, what is going to happen to Molly when she leaves the hospital? Who's going to take her home? What is she going to do for work? That's all I kept thinking. (laughs) And then she leaves Molly and she's like, I love you. And I'm like, if you love her, why are you leaving her? Yeah. And it's cause Nomi just like is manic and traumatized <laughs> and like goes from place to place. And that's all that she's ever known. And that's not
0: entirely, I mean, right. So it is simultaneously underscoring the, yeah, it's underscoring n- number one, nomi's selfishness nomi's racism Mm -hmm. and then also the way in which trauma functions which is that like when you're constantly in a traumatized state and you're never really out of spiral you can really only ever think of yourself anyway yeah
1: exactly um but before she leaves the hospital she goes just down the hall to see Crystal, who's laid up in bed, recovering. Somehow in the same by, hospital. Right, surrounded by flowers. And Crystal says that she knows that Nomi tripped her, but that she's not going to say anything because she needed a rest. <laughs> and she also reveals that she's like, well, how do you think I got the part that I got? So yeah. it's like a vicious cycle. And she says there's always someone younger and hungrier than you coming down the stairs behind you. Disposable women and sex work. Yep. Aging out.
0: Yeah. Uh
1: and then they say they have a very long, passionate goodbye kiss before she leaves. And it's Crystal is very touched by it and tears up. Which I don't know, what do you make of that?
0: <laughs> like, I think we were both a little touched by it at the time, yeah. even though it's perverse. It's, it's <laughs> so perverse,
1: but it's also like It's like one of the real moments of it's There's one of the so realest moments, moments of the intimacy. movie. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also kind of speaks to the intimacy that women develop with each other in a sex work context. Absolutely.
0: And even when they're competing,
1: even when they hate Right. Each other. I mean, I don't know any sex worker that's like straight. So no. it's you can't be. <laughs> <Like> you can't <laughs> see that that side of men and like not develop like a necessary attraction to women (laughs) so that
0: is truly a whole nother podcast episode yeah
1: exactly exactly um so that's a really emotional moment um and I don't I mean Verhoeven is gross and like constantly uses lesbians to make points uh but it's also like again as queer women like it's i i feel it and i understand that moment of the movie um then the movie comes full circle nomi is hitching a ride to la with the very same guy that robbed her in the beginning (laughs) (laughs) and he doesn't realize it it yeah and she pulls a knife on him and attacks him and demands her luggage and then the camera zooms out and we see like this poster of Nomi Malone as goddess and behind it is a sign for LA, which is 500 miles away or something. Yeah. And then the film ends with a Susie and the Banshees song. Also forgot to say that the music for this movie was written by, tony holiday who is the lead singer of the band curve and she uh denounces this film she was like horrified when she saw it Whoa. Yeah, she was like she thought it was gonna be this like really smart sex commentary and she thought it was like this absolute trash so i agree with both of those statements. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so that's showgirls um the best and the worst best and the worst is there anything else you wanted to say about it? Oh my goodness!
0: No, I think we have we have covered some real ground
1: here. <laughs> yeah, exhaustive. Um, so, thank you for listening. Uh, Please check out my Patreon, patreon.com slash girlsgutsjallo. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter as girlsgutsandjallo. You can also email me at girlsgutsandjallo at gmail.com. My name is Sarah
0: Patterson, and you can find me on Instagram. My personal Instagram is jerseytrashfem, and you can also find my personal work on Philadelphia and all things gay and sex worker culture related to philadelphia on philadelphia.stories
1: on instagram until next time i'm annie rose malamette and this is girls guts and Jallo.